Now, many of you know that I am a law gospel preacher, so I'm going to start with a little law this morning before we get to the gospel. Each of us receives God's blessings richly. And so this weekend as we gather again, we are asking you to prayerfully consider all the gifts that God has entrusted you with, your time, talent, voice, and yes, your treasure. And we ask for you to make an estimated commitment to the the stewardship campaign, joyfully we give. This is not a faith work. You're not going to earn God's favor by this. But it is our hope to hear from all of you so that we may plan for the ministry and mission over this next year here at First Lutheran. Your stewardship pledge is your estimated support for what happens here and how we as a congregation stand together to help ensure the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in the world. And so please, again, turn in your pledge cards so that we may start to do this work. Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So also this weekend, we are poised in anticipation for our festival celebration of Reformation next weekend. It has been now some 504 years since Martin Luther marched his way to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and posted his 95 theses on the door for all to see, for all to read, if you could read Latin, igniting the great split of the church into Catholic and Protestant. Luther, of course, went on to teach, preach, and write that the grace and mercy of God is known in Jesus Christ. And the after effects of this event changed church, politics, and even world culture to what we know today. Each time we gather to worship, we do so in the biblical understanding and truths which Luther taught. But an interesting fact, after Luther's death in 1546, one of the only noteworthy items from the last days of his life comes from a scrap of paper that was found in his coat pocket. And on that note, Luther had written two short phrases, one in Latin and one in German. This is true, we are all beggars. What had Luther, whom God had chosen as his special instrument in the church, through whom God had brought the mighty church in Rome to its knees, and to whom God had granted extraordinary gifts to preach, to teach, to translate, and to communicate God's word of truth, what had he concluded in a lifetime that he and we all are nothing more than beggars before a holy and gracious God who can do nothing but cry out to Jesus Christ, who must and can do nothing but receive his gifts and who joyfully follow him. Now, Jesus and his disciples were headed towards Jerusalem on that day, just a few days before his triumphal entry, where he entered to shouts of Hosanna, which then quickly turned to crucify. They were traveling through Jericho, a little town situated about a day's walk east of Jerusalem. And as they were passing through, they encountered this man, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Now, to be blind is a challenging affliction in any age, but in Jesus' time, it meant something even more. There were not the advances in assisting the blind that we know today. There was no way to read. 
No roadway light post that had an auditory signal to indicate when you could cross safely. No service animals. There were no programs to assist the blind in education or to obtain work so that they could live a reasonably good life. No, in fact, the blind were complete outcasts. In Jesus' time, to be blind meant that you were seen as being accursed or punished by God for something that you or your parents had done. And you were also seen as unclean under Jewish law, so no one would want anything to do with you. You would be less than the less than. Now these were the conditions that Bartimaeus lived. He may have been blind, but he was under no illusion. He knew that his life was completely dependent on the mercy of others. But Bartimaeus, though blind and outcast, had ears to hear. And what he heard was people talking about this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, who had been traveling throughout Israel preaching a message of God's grace and mercy, and especially the forgiveness of sins. And he had performed miracles like had never been witnessed before. So as the crowd walks by and Bartimaeus realizes what is going on, or more specifically, who is walking by, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing happens. In fact, people try to shut him up. But in his desperation, he cries out even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. Now, while many people saw nothing more than a man in this Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, Bartimaeus saw the Messiah, the son God had promised to King David some 1,000 years earlier, the one who would establish God's kingdom on earth and would rescue all people from the misery of sin. Bartimaeus believed that this was the one man in the whole universe that could help him. Now we actually can learn a lot from this blind beggar. In a world where seeing is believing, perception is reality, faith does not work this way. Hearing is believing. St. Paul actually reminds us of this in his, church, in his letter to the church at Rome in chapter 10. Now I am sure that many of those people in the crowd that followed Jesus and the disciples had seen and heard many things that Jesus taught and did, but still did not see him the same way that Bartimaeus did. Even more so, they did not see him as God's mercy sent into the world. But Bartimaeus turns the world, world's understanding on its head. Believing is seeing. When we gather each time in worship, we come to confession and absolution, which we have done this morning. And while you may recognize yourself a sinner, you cannot stand there and categorically check off all of your laundry list of the sins that Christ forgives. But you can only hear and trust in that promise. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is John chapter 20. In baptism, our eyes may only see that nothing more happens than someone gets wet, but faith sees it differently. Peter actually declares that the impossible happens. Baptism now saves you. 
And the bread and wine that you receive look like a simple wafer and wine. But don't believe your eyes. Believe Christ's words. This is my body and my blood for you. Now many people in the world wait and demand to see proof before they can believe in Jesus. And I'm sorry to say they'll be waiting all the way till judgment day. And what they will know is God's wrath in unbelief. But we again can learn from Bartimaeus. Hearing is believing. Believing is seeing. Jesus calls Bartimaeus to come to him and asks, what do you want me to do for you? The same question that Jesus asked his disciples last week in our text, to which James and John said, we want to sit in your glory. Bartimaeus asks for mercy. Rabbi, let me see. Mercy, which in its simplest form can, means be unfair to me. Be unfair to me, a sinner. Do not give me what I deserve, but give me out of your goodness. It's a pretty bold request. But Jesus does what he was sent to do and what he was sent to be. Mercy. He gives it. Jesus answered Bartimaeus' bold and impossible request right then and there. Go, your faith has made you well. Now a more literal translation of those words of Jesus in that, at that point are, your faith has saved you. Now understand, Jesus is not saying that Bartimaeus' great faith is what caused his healing. If that were true, why didn't Bartimaeus simply believe himself healed earlier? By the way, faith healing is a dangerous false teaching. It turns faith into a work and makes God's grace a commodity to be earned. No, Bartimaeus' faith saved him because it led him to the one who could heal him. Bartimaeus' faith saved him because he begged the right person. Saving, healing, justifying faith doesn't do anything. Saving, healing, justifying faith simply receives what Jesus gives. Friends, where has this text found you today? As you look at your life and all that it is, do you see it through the lens of reward? Do you have a feeling like you are entitled to the life you have? That the life you have is because of who you are and what you do? That the harder you work, the more that you deserve? Or do you see your life through the lens of faith, where hearing is seeing and knowing God's promise for you? He does not promise prosperity. It is not a promise that says you will not suffer or nor burdens in this life. But that you would know that the whole of your life is because of God's mercy. When you consider how quickly life can change, you realize that nothing, absolutely nothing is certain except one thing, and that is death. But when you live your life seeing it through faith, everything, absolutely everything, every moment of your life is a gift. And let us never forget that after we have come to Jesus, after he has answered our cry for mercy, after he has assured us that our sins are forgiven and heaven is ours, that we are still and always will be beggars. 
we actually never move beyond this. Because Jesus provides all that we need, food and clothing, as well as forgiveness and salvation. From the day that we were brought to the baptismal font, maybe as children, to the day we breathe our last, we will remain beggars who rely on the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And the good news is, Jesus is there to give it. He promises to meet us here in his word where he is preached and where the sacraments are given. This is why we come to church. It's where beggars come to receive these great gifts of Christ, to receive the gifts gratefully and faithfully. And this is how we joyfully follow Jesus Christ. Now Luther was right. We are all beggars. Beggars who can do nothing but look to Christ for mercy. And we receive what Jesus wants to give. Thanks be to God, Jesus has mercy for beggars like us. Thanks be to God. Amen.